Here we go. You are listening to Open Mic Friday Law and Gospel on this April the 9th in the year of our Lord, 2021. And by the way, in case you were unaware of this, income tax this year is being postponed to happen until not April the 15th, but May the 15th. So we have a little extra time to do that. But that wasn't a question anybody was asking me. It was just something I thought you might have some delight in knowing that you have another month to get in your income tax. Well, Open Mic Friday is an opportunity for you to email me any questions you might have. So let's start with this particular email. On your program, you quoted the Apostle Paul when talking about the preacher who claims to be a Christian and a Muslim, because Muslims deny the deity of Christ, preaching another gospel. But a few days ago, you said that Roman Catholics are saved because they claim faith in Christ, but they preach another gospel. They make images and bow to them. They pray to saints and Mary. They say that if anyone does not believe that the wafer is the actual blood and body of Christ, they are accursed. They believe a man can forgive their sins by confessing to him and then saying a bunch of Our Fathers and Hail Mary. When a Catholic gets saved, their family rejects them, just like the Muslims do. I can't understand why the Protestant churches no longer believe what Martin Luther proclaimed when he finally saw the light. The seminary-taught preachers are getting scary to listen to today. It seems like intellect is pushing the Holy Spirit out the doors and acting like he is not needed. And then it's signed, and the city, the name, and Christ is my life. This is a somewhat common understanding, even on the part of Lutherans, concerning the Roman Catholic faith. First of all, let's kind of go through the letter. There's no doubt that a preacher who claims to be a Christian and a Muslim, that that is preaching another gospel. In, in fact, we were just talking uh, yesterday about that so-called Baptist minister who became a senator in Georgia, that he believed that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not necessary to be believed in order that you can be saved. Instead, all you have to do is do good works for other people, and you will be saved. If that is not a contradiction of the entire Bible, I don't know what is. In Genesis 3.15, God doesn't tell Adam and Eve, well, I will have you do good works so that you can offset your sins and be saved. No, he sends them a promise of a savior to come through the seed of Eve and of course became born of the Virgin Mary and he's the one that saves us. 
So there's no doubt that when somebody denies the gospel in such stark terms like Muslims do, Jehovah Witnesses, Christian scientists, and others, that that is another gospel. But then why did I make the comment that Roman Catholics are saved because they claim faith in Christ? Now, there's no doubt that Roman Catholic documents often give the impression that they do not believe the Scripture. But we got to be careful. There's no doubt that they make images, but to bow down to them, to worship the image, that would be wrong. And even in Lutheran churches, we have images of Jesus, uh, the apostles, etc. And many a time, a person will enter into the church and bow toward the altar where the image of Christ is either a statue or a picture, etc. But bowing down to them doesn't mean that we're worshiping them. No, there are times, for example, if you were to meet someone, you might bow down and shake their hands because they are of such importance. That doesn't mean you think they're God. They pray to saints and Mary. Yes, that is correct. They believe that saints who are in heaven, and they're not even sure about the previous pope, because they had to wait until two miracles were performed after he died in order to make him a saint. But does praying to Mary or the saints, is that a teaching that absolutely removes someone from the Christian church? That is an error, no doubt about that. But I know Lutherans who, when they go on a plane trip, have to have their cross with them. Might be around their neck or in their purse or in their pocket but they won't take a plane trip without that cross. And when I counseled someone about that, I was definitely giving them the impression that that was kind of a form of idolatry. But you see, we Christians practice idolatry every day. It's called sin. What's at the center of sin? Spell it. S-I-N where we put ourselves before God. In our worship services, we as Lutherans often confess that we are poor, miserable sinners deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. So we also do sins. In the church, there is a distinction between a moral sin that removes faith and what we would refer to as venial sins that doesn't remove faith but needs repentance. Are we going to say that every Lutheran that goes over the speed limit, that he's going to hell? No. Number three, they say that if anyone does not believe that the wafer 
this is the Lord's Supper, is the actual blood and body of Christ. They are accursed. Now, there are Roman Catholic churches that were only giving out the wafer, and therefore they did teach you were receiving both the body and blood, but more and more of the Roman Catholic churches now are giving out the bread and the wine. So the bread they refer to as the body and the wine as the blood. This is not a doctrine that would remove people from heaven because they are trying to explain in a philosophical way, it's called transubstantiation, what happens when an ordained priest says the words of institution over the bread and the wine. They do believe that the very essence of the bread and the wine change into body and blood. We do not agree with that on the basis of 1 Corinthians 10. It is not the bread which we eat, is it not a communion with the body of Christ and the same with the wine? Are we going to say because they try to explain in a wrong way how the Lord's Supper takes place that that means they're not going to heaven? Among some Lutherans, they do not believe in transubstantiation, but consubstantiation. And that's another philosophical theory that simply teaches that the essence of the bread, the essence of the body, they kind of come together. And therefore, that is something that occurs with the bread and the wine. But that also is a philosophical theory that cannot be found in the scripture. I'm not going to say somebody who has that particular theory is going to hell. For example, when we meet with individuals, as the next email we'll be talking about, there is much sin going on in our lives. And that sin is contrary to the word of God. Number four, the person writes, they believe a man can forgive their sins by confessing to him and then saying a bunch of our fathers and Hail Marys. Okay, the Roman Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church believe that a pastor, for example, in counsel with a member, can hear the confession of sins and then can forgive that person. Now, Roman Catholics believe, and a lot of Lutherans don't know this, that according to their documents, our sins were forgiven when Christ died on the cross. And that's why a Roman Catholic can be forgiven by a priest. But they have another doctrine that is contrary to the scripture concerning purgatory. What's purgatory? That's the place you go to not to have your sins forgiven, but to make up for all the temporal sins you did for which you did not have a negative consequence. So purgatory doesn't, in a sense, forgive sins as does the cross of Christ even in Roman Catholic theology, but they couldn't understand 
early in the Roman Catholic Church, how somebody can be a sinner all their life, and then when they die, go to heaven. In fact, that makes them change some of the teachings of the scripture. When Jesus is on the cross and the thief asks, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, Roman Catholic theology can't understand how a thief who hasn't experienced purgatory can be with Jesus in paradise right away. So they retranslate or rethink that, and here's what they think is said. Jesus says, I'm telling you today, you will be with me in paradise. So the today isn't the time when he will be. It's really talking about the time Jesus said it. But the Greek does not permit that. It's very clear that when a person dies, they are immediately in the spirit with Jesus in paradise. Paradise is kind of one of the levels of heaven that Jewish thought had, but it's kind of used in the Bible to speak of the interim time between your mortal death, when your spirit is in heaven, but your body has not yet arrived. And so we have, therefore, a simple teaching that, as Jesus said, from the cross, the thief will be with him in paradise that day. And we know that Jesus went to paradise that day because of one of the words from the cross. Father, he is talking to, he says, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Jesus died like every other human being. His spirit immediately went to heaven. And on Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of the body. Now, therefore, Roman Catholic proper theology does believe your sins were forgiven at the cross, but the temporal consequences of sin, you need to kind of balance out, and that's what purgatory is. is. But is that a teaching that removes somebody from heaven? I personally don't think so. Number five, when a Catholic gets saved, their family rejects them, just like the Muslims do. Now, it is true that that occurs. In fact, I had a member of the congregation who was Jewish when he came to the congregation, and he became a Christian. His Jewish family actually had a burial service for him, even though he was still alive, and they would not let him come back into family gatherings. Now, that's sad, but that is not a teaching of the Roman Catholic Church that you must reject any family member that does not stay Roman Catholic. There's no doubt there are some teachings that get close to that. For example, they don't believe that it is a proper marriage if you are not married by a Roman Catholic priest when you're a Roman Catholic. And I remember one marriage ceremony that the couple got married in the Lutheran church. She was 
Roman Catholic. And on the way back to the narthex, as they were marching and walking after they were declared married, they stopped at one of the pews where a Roman Catholic priest stepped out, gave them the sign of the cross, and blessed them so that their marriage would be recognized as valid. That's ridiculous. Their marriage was valid because that had occurred in the ceremony. So, I can't understand why the Protestant churches no longer believe what Martin Luther proclaimed when he finally saw the light. Well, Martin Luther rarely complained that Roman Catholics weren't saved. He said they were really messed up. For example, he wrote a small catechism primarily for priests who many of them did not know the Ten Commandments or the meaning of the creed, Lord's Prayer, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, but not to the point where he considered them not to be saved. Now, there's no doubt that if you truly believe with all your heart that you're going to heaven because of your works, that can put you in a dangerous position. But we need to make a distinction between what a church officially teaches and what the members believe. This is similar also with the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. The leadership there believes in abortion, homosexual activity, no need to really preach the gospel to individuals who are, shall we say, not knowing the message of Jesus Christ, because who knows how God is going to save you. So in light of that, we have a situation that it is difficult to say that anyone for sure who is a member of a Christian denomination is for sure going to hell unless their teachings are really contrary to the word of God. So you got to remember, all of Luther's friends were Roman Catholics, and he did not consider a Melanchthon or others to be damned because of that. All right, second email kind of deals with this. I apologize in advance for contacting you with this complicated matter, but I only recently moved to this area and do not yet have a home church or pastor to consult with. So I'm hoping you might be able to offer some guidance. I'm writing regarding some things that have taken place in the life of a close family member who is my cousin. So this is what the email writer is writing about. In the past, she had engaged in ongoing sins of adultery and then abortion, which he had confided to me. My counsel to her was to confess these sins, repeat, and seek whatever help she might need in moving past them. And I thought she had done just that. But I learned last week that I have been greatly deceived. Not only did she not move past them, but she has continued in adultery with not one man, but two. 
the man she had committed adultery with for over 26 years, whose child she aborted, has still been in her life. She continued to be involved with him. And last week he passed away with her and her husband at his side. He was apparently a friend to both. Her husband is a self-styled and then gives the name of the religion with which he's a minister, who has also not been faithful. And he's engaged throughout the years in many behaviors not defining a believer. Pastor Baker, I've been a Lutheran for 17 years, and I've listened faithfully to your program, Law and Gospel, for as far back as I can remember. That's why I'm looking to you for some guidance. I fear my relationship with my cousin has been irreparably damaged by all this, and I no longer know what to say to her, or if perhaps I should completely break fellowship with her. What she's done has begun to haunt me and quite literally hurt my heart. I now feel something between horror at her sin, fear for her soul, anger that she's mocked God, and hurt that I was so profoundly deceived. I am completely at a loss. I would so appreciate your advice in this matter. Well, anytime I give advice to someone along these lines, I uh, try and do the best I can in thinking about Jesus. Was he ever faced with this kind of a situation where he was really not believing that the people with whom he was working were able to be saved? And frankly, I don't think that's true. For example, who was one of the first women that went to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning looking for him? It was Mary Magdalene. And she had been the woman from whom Jesus had taken out evil spirits. So he did not give up on her. How would you like to have one of your own disciples criticize you for saying that you need to go to Jerusalem in order to be put to death and in order to realize that you were fulfilling the mission your father had given you to die for the sins of the world, but you would rise from the dead three days later? And then Peter says, no, Lord, that won't happen. We'll kind of protect you. Jesus had to say to his own disciple, get thee behind me, Satan. In fact, all of the disciples had fled from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. One betrayed him. Another denied him three times. So if we're taking a look at these individuals, what was Jesus' attitude towards them? On the night of the resurrection, he appeared to them and the first words he said was, peace be with you. So, what would I be saying about your relationship with your cousin who is living a life 
that is contrary to the word of God. I would not break relationships with her, meet with her, and look for the opportunity again to begin to share with her what you had said earlier, that she should confess her sins, repent, and seek whatever help she might need in moving past them. Now, I'll give you a couple of names of congregations in the area where you're living that the pastors would be very helpful as Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod pastors to meet with you and with her to continue to guide you. This is very important that we don't consider someone to be lost unless the word of God says it, such as with Judas. It had been better had he never been born. But with everyone else, there is nothing that one can say that they will never be saved. Take the example that you knew a good friend. His name was Saul. He was murdering Christians. What happened on the way to the road to Damascus? The Lord came to him, gave him faith, saved him, and even made him an apostle to the Gentiles. See, God doesn't think like we do. Now, there are times when the Bible says we kick the dust off our feet in an area where people are rejecting the message and we can't leave them. But when you have a cousin who is still willing to meet with you, I would encourage you to continue to meet with her and wait for a time that God gives you an opportunity to speak the message again. And on the next Law and Gospel, which will be Monday, we'll be taking a look at another passage from the Bible that is helpful in giving advice to us concerning the distinctions between law and gospel. And with those distinctions, we say the words and the Holy Spirit moves the heart. And therefore, we pray that that will happen between you and your cousin. God bless you. Thank you for writing. And I hope this has been helpful. God bless all of you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.